0: The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social
1: Screenwriters Podcast. Where Andy talks to people he met on the internet. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode 33 of the Social Screenwriters Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Compton, and today on the show we have a very special guest. His name is Nicholas Weinstock, a.k.a. Nicky Weinstock, as I and many people know him. Nicky is a twice Emmy-nominated film and television producer. He was nominated for his producing work on Escape at Dannemora and on Severance. Um, But in addition to that, he also helped co-found Apatow Productions with Judd Apatow, where he worked on such classic, classic comedies from my youth. And, well, more like early 20s, but, I mean, amazing comedies that were pivotal for me, such as Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Funny People, Get Him to the Greek, and Bridesmaids. Everyone loves Bridesmaids. Absolute classic. Um, and in addition to that, he also worked at Ben Stiller's Red Hour Films, which during the end of that run, before he went on his own with Invention, he started a cool mentorship group called craft services and that's where i met nikki i was invited by a film professor of mine to join this group that you know this cool film producer was starting and it was international and it's going to be held over zoom and it's going to be a weekly zoom meeting where he's gonna you know bring us all in and just talk to us some like up-and-coming writer directors from around the u.s but also around the world and i was like yeah i'm in and it's been such a great experience. We talk about it a lot in this episode, but a big point being that this group, which by the way, is completely free, doesn't cost a thing, not won't cost a thing. You won't need your credit card. Um, it is opening up to the public now. It's an application only group, but you can apply. And I think you submit like one piece of your writing and Nikki and his team will go over it. And if you get invited into the group, it is an amazing group it started with like less than 100 people and now it's up to like 500 amazing though we have really cool writers and directors and agents managers producers uh all kinds of people come in and speak to us in that group and then you know we can even ask them questions and like you know the the range of people is really wild just last week it was jenny slate the great jenny slate came and talked to us um, just really, really amazing group to be a part of, and I've learned so much, and I've made friends in it. So, uh, if you take nothing else away from this rant, it's a uh, craftservicesnetwork.com, and you can apply there, and you know, get more information about it. Things that I have forgotten to say in this wild, insane man rant. Uh, but that's Craft Services, and we talk about, of course, his amazing resume his amazing career he's had, and some cool stories from along the way, and also what he as a producer looks for in new writers, new voices. Um, What are things that we can be doing to impress, basically, um, in his opinion. It was a great, great episode. I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it. Uh, For St. Louis people or people in or around St. Louis in late July, on Saturday, July 22nd at 9 p.m., our short film captcha is going to be playing at the historic high point theater in st louis i wrote and directed this film uh, it's a short film but um, if you're in the area please come out and see it uh, and it's also the st louis filmmaker showcase so you can see a number of cool films um, there's a bunch of programs going on for i think two weekends so it's going to be amazing just want to throw that out there uh, and guys, if you like this episode, please tweet about it, post about it on IG, say something you like, share it with your friends. I really appreciate any of the uh, uh, the hype I can get for this podcast. Uh, you guys have done a lot already. I super appreciate it, but I'm always trying to throw that out there. Guys, that's all I got this week. Let's go ahead and jump into this episode with Nikki Weinstock. All right, Nikki Weinstock, thank you for coming on the show today. Happy to. Very excited to see you. Awesome. Excited to see you too. Um, for listeners who don't know Nicholas Weinstock, who goes by Nikki, with, I guess just with friends, um, uh, you know, your Google, on Google, it says Nicholas and it's throwing me off. You're very formal online. Well, my, uh,
0: my mother very strictly controls my Google account. So oh, that's what it that's is? What getting, Yeah, it's a gotcha. bit, it is formal. formal and punitive.
1: Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. That explains it. Um, For listeners who don't know Nikki, though, Nikki has been around in Hollywood for quite a while as a producer and working in development on a lot of projects, including um, such huge pivotal comedies in my life that really like I didn't know it at the time, but were pushing me towards wanting to be a filmmaker, wanting to be a writer. Uh, Films like Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Funny People, Get Him to the Greek, Bridesmaids, and then dipping into the television space, um, being involved in Escape at Dannemora and Severance. Um, Just a lot of really, really amazing projects. You've done a lot. You've been around a while climbing the ranks. You worked at Judd Apatow's company. You worked as pretty much the right-hand man to Ben Stiller, correct, at Red Hour Films whenever we met. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so a lot of cool things. And um, me and Nikki's relationship started in, I think it was, was it 2021 when craft services began? 2020 even. Was it like late summer of 2020? Yeah, yeah, you're right. right. So pandemic's in full effect. The world is on fire. No one knows what's happening. And I got an invitation from a screenwriting professor of mine at Webster University, Peter Hanrahan, who was a great dude. Um, He gave me an email and said, hey, uh, a friend of mine, Nikki Weinstock, he works at Ben Stiller's production company, Red Hour Films. He's starting this little group. It's kind of a mentorship group. He's a producer. He's been around a long time and he's looking for recent film school graduates and people kind of just starting their careers from around the country, but around the world as well to come and take part in this thing it's going to happen you know once a week over zoom uh saturday mornings and basically nikki's just going to come in he's going to field your guys's questions he's going to bring on some guests from the business that he knows and uh it's going to be a cool thing are you interested and i was like oh my god yes that's like the coolest invitation i've gotten thus far in my career my young career kind of can't even call it a career at that point (laughs) But um, but it was a great opportunity, and that's where me and Nikki got to know each other. And in the beginning, I think this group had like, what was it, a hundred people, maybe ish.
0: Yeah. yeah, maybe yeah. even fewer at first. Yeah, yeah, maybe fewer.
1: And then where are we at now?
0: Uh, over five hundred. Over uh, five hundred. Yeah. yeah. And it really was. Um, I was so glad to have you in that. Cabal early on, it was the simplest thing in the world, which is I realized during the pandemic, when we're on lockdown, nobody could travel to Los Angeles to do internships or shadow directors or any of the stuff that usually helps start people's careers. So I just started doing this Zoom to help people out with their projects or answer their questions or whatever. Very simple impulse and then it um got popular and i started calling film schools like i did your alma mater and saying who are the coolest graduates and are they looking to start their careers could they use any help happy to support them and bring them into this group Uh, so it was really like a support system for cool new screenwriters and directors wherever they are Then about halfway through the pandemic i got really ambitious and started calling film schools in other countries and uh people i knew who ran film festivals so yeah now we're over 500 people and we have uh you know across the us and you in missouri and a few other places like that and then uh england and australia new zealand and mexico and all over africa i was gonna say Uh,
1: africa has a strong presence
0: Africa is a strong presence, Iceland, <laughs> um, yeah.
1: You got drunk on power
0: at some point. That is just... exactly what happened. I started viewing it as a, one big game of risk. I was yeah. like, Why, what other country can I take over? <laughs> right, uh, <laughs> yeah. We got a couple of recent members from Malaysia. I don't know if you've met uh, them, yeah. Oh, cool.
1: I don't know if I have, but that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. So again, the group is called Craft Services, and you know I had this question later, but we're talking about it. We're diving in. Let's just dive right in. So yeah, it's a, uh, it, like uh, Nikki said, it's it's grown from under hundred to five hundred now in just the first few years. Um, now up to two meetings a week on Friday. Well, for the U.S. people, um, Friday evenings and Saturday mornings. Really cool guests coming on all the time. Friday is usually more of like a just. Ask Nikki, you know, uh, advice on things that are going on in your career. And it's a very open forum and it's very friendly and um, people you can be vulnerable. And And then um, on Saturdays, mo- every other Saturday, we'll have a guest pop in and the guests have been really cool. I don't know if you want me to open up about that. Like, yeah, sure. We have no secrets. Okay, cool. So yeah, like um, last Saturday, which I didn't get to be in, I had to work a wedding that day, but um, Jenny Slate, the great Jenny Slate was the guest. So, I mean, there's really cool guests coming through. That's just the most recent example, but, you know, directors, screenwriters, um, all who are working today at a quite high level, and then agents, managers, we had an entertainment attorney on, and that was one of the most insightful um, business-directed uh, meetings that we had really cool really valuable and this thing was kind of a, a secret for a while kind of a a, a poorly kept secret uh, mm-hmm. for the first few years but now Nikki and his team have opened up craft services to the public and there is a website which is craftservicesnetwork.com. I nailed is- it all right I, I should have researched this nikki I'm, i was doing dishes like two minutes before coming on to this so. it's fine you have a busy life that's all right i have a busy life yeah yeah <laughs> but um but yeah craftservicesnetwork.com you can go to that website learn a little more about it on in the about section learn about some of the people who are involved on nikki's side um, and you can fill out an application it's really basic really easy but with that you will submit some of your writing to be read by the team behind Craft Services. And if they like what you're doing and like what you have going on, they will send you an invitation and you'll be part of the group. There's a Discord that we're all a part of that kind of keeps everyone up to date on what's going on. Uh, I don't know if I hit a lot of that. I didn't even mean to steal your thunder there, Nikki. I was oh, just Oh, like, I love it. You're like
0: okay. a you're a hype man. This is the <laughs> Okay. Cool. Uh, I swear
1: I'm gonna ask you a lot of questions about your life too. I went crazy there no no i love it thank you for
0: doing that um yes. i would say the only important thing you left off is it's totally fucking free uh, yes, that, yes. That, is, that is the point it is not yeah. a it's not a charge anyone thing it really we do andy like you said um you know we select people like we want the best of the best and we want kind people who are going to help each other out and become part of this community um but I really view it as like an elite rebel army or something of new screenwriters and directors who want to be honest about it and want to find allies and team up with each other and break into the business together. And uh, it's been fun. We had um, Jenny, like you said, we had Edward Berger, who just won an Oscar for All Quiet on the Western Front recently. We've had- everyone from David digs to, you know, uh, big agents, uh, like you said, it's really just, I'm just trying to get the so-called secrets of Hollywood, uh, out to the public, uh, or at least to our elite academy so that there's no secrets. And so everyone has the same info and can, uh, we help people get represented, um, We had a great moment. I don't know if you were on, Andy, uh, maybe two Zooms ago, where we uh, had a craft services session devoted to getting managers and agents and the difference between managers and agents. And then three different people said, um, shit, I sent my stuff to a manager and I haven't heard anything. It's been there for months. And everyone, you know, sympathized and was like, yeah, shit, that happens all the time. So I just said, well how about everybody who has their stuff sitting on a manager's desk, send me the manager's name and email address and the name of the work that's waiting on their thing. And I'll just uh, call and email them all. So uh, we did that totally interesting social experiment. Uh, I believe of the seven or eight people who emailed uh, in the info, we got, I got immediate responses on six of the seven or something and everybody's stuff is being read so we're just we're tweaking the system a little bit trying to help people get into the business who uh you know generally don't have an on-ramp it's the stupidest business in the world where there's no uh stepping stool into it it's Mm -hmm. literally like you want to, you know, you're sitting in Missouri and you have written three screenplays and shot a short film and you say, what should I do with this? How how can I get it seen? And there's no answer. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know, put it online. Hope someone discovers it. Uh, send it to Steven, Steven Spielberg. You know, it's the dumbest non-business business in the world which is why it's been so clubby and insular for so long where you have to live in Beverly Hills or have a cousin who knows Tom Cruise that's why it's not built like a business so I'm I'm trying to create on-ramps for people around the world who you know if you think it's bad in Missouri you know try Burundi and Malaysia uh yeah. you're screwed unless, you know, lightning strikes and something lucky happens. So I'm just trying to make uh lightning strike a little more often through the uh through this platform.
1: Yeah, yeah. Really really amazing and a lot of my listeners are very familiar with like almost every service that sounds like this is a pay to play type thing. So again, cool. I will reiterate completely free like to the point where me and a few members who i've made a bunch of friends in craft services and you will too if you uh come apply but i've made a lot of friends and we've talked about it like what is nikki getting out of like there's got to be a catch or something is he like a con man but he's not he's a genuinely nice person who just wants to help newer writers get into the business. And um, I know a couple personally who did get represented through you when I was about to get represented, when I was taking meetings after the nickel um, you, and at the time it was Hannah, I believe. Um, yeah, that's got, right. got me a couple meetings and that was really amazing. Um, so these things do happen through craft services. I don't want to dwell on it forever, but that is just an amazing thing. Again, it's craftservicesnetwork.com. And I just know a lot of people who listen to this podcast, you should definitely go apply.
0: Thank you. I'm sorry if I turned it into an infomercial at the beginning. I didn't uh didn't mean to, but uh that's nice of you to talk about it.
1: Oh no, it's it's my pleasure. I will um now switch gears a little bit off craft services and uh Nikki, you can pay me for that advertisement later. I already I already have Venmo'd you. Thank okay, you. cool. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Just kidding, listeners, he didn't pay me for that. Uh, All right. So, Nikki, I want to go back to the beginning for you and ask, how did you get into the film business?
0: Uh, It is the strangest fucking resume you can imagine. So I can't uh, advocate it for others. But um, I did not expect to be in the film business. Um, I came from a very stodgy literary old school family my mom was on the staff of the new yorker magazine for like 30 years uh and my dad was producing plays and stuff in new york and uh we're like one of those weird bohemian families with all these kids crammed into a tiny apartment on the upper west side of manhattan um if you've ever seen ever seen like the squid and the whale you basically Yeah. You know, my entire childhood. Oh, okay, uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I can yeah. almost not watch that movie, um, <laughs> but uh, it was that. And then I, um, I started traveling early and lived in a lot of other countries in France and Italy and lived in Africa. I started doing volunteer work in Ghana and then ended up going to the university of Nairobi for some of college and uh, Harvard for a lot of it. And then, um, the university of Botswana for graduate school and then the university of Cape town. Uh, so I was somewhere else. I was just leading a crazy adventure, speaking all these languages. So young. Uh, Yeah. So young. I started traveling when I was 13 by myself. I don't know what possessed me. I think growing up in that tiny apartment, I just wanted to get the hell out or something. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and uh, and then, but then I, I got right back into the old school literary world and worked at Random House. I was a book editor um, and uh, started a new division back then, which is still around, of Penguin Publishers called Riverhead Books with some other editors. And then I quit to write full time because um, I always loved writing. So I wrote... Books, I wrote three books, a nonfiction book and two novels and journalism for the New York Times and The Nation and Vogue and National Public Radio, places like that. I thought Mm -hmm. I'd do that for the rest of my life. Frankly, I just liked writing. And um, at one point when I was writing novels, I met a woman who became my wife when she was writing plays. Mm And we had a baby, and we were uh, living in literally a crack house on the Lower East Side uh, on Stanton and Ludlow Street. Um, Mm -hmm. We had just about no money between my novel writing income and her playwriting income, Mm -hmm. and realized one of us had to get health insurance at some point, and maybe some more income as we sat on the floor of this apartment with Mm -hmm. our baby. Uh, and so I ended up looking for a day job and, uh, I was hired. Um, I knew one guy who worked in media and he asked me to come into his office and offered very generously for, to introduce me around at his media company. His media company turned out to be news corporation, which I didn't know what it was. It was the most boring generic name for a company i'd ever heard mm-hmm. uh, and uh and then i got hired under peter chernin who was then president of news corporation would go on and and become a producer but uh and then i was basically hired to be the dull business writer uh the press releases uh rewrite the website that kind of writing yeah. which paid more than my novel income. It's still I could go home at night and in the early morning and write my novels and take care of our little babies. We soon had two, um, and uh, and then things got very weird in that I got promoted at work. Um, the company is run by Rupert Murdoch, as some people may know. And yeah. I got asked to be his speechwriter um because I was writing all the business writing and the speeches um so I met with Rupert he had a big speech to give to the Chinese party leadership um I remember I was asked to give this speech I didn't know anything about writing speeches I certainly didn't know anything about the Chinese party leadership nor did (laughs) I think I could write a speech that Rupert Murdoch would deliver because I figured our politics were so different Um, But I wrote the speech. It went well. And from then on, uh, for the next four years, I was Rupert Murdoch's speechwriter. And I traveled all over the world. I wrote speeches for Rupert and for Peter Chernin, my boss. And... um, really thought i'd be fired for my leftist uh inclinations um Mm -hmm. for whatever reason i was not i actually never had to write anything political thank god um and uh and rupert in a fun way kind of liked our differences and liked our wrestling match and he would always say your people are protesting in front of fox news again or whatever and it was all in uh good jocular spirit. Um, So I did that for a few years. And then Rupert and Peter, my last couple novels were published by Harper Collins. Harper Collins is owned by News Corporation. Pretty sure it still is. Um, So my secret double life as a literary uh, liberal novelist was, uh, exposed Mm -hmm. and Peter and Rupert asked if I wanted to move to Los Angeles and work on the creative side of the company because all that had been at the corporate headquarters in New York. So I ended up moving out to LA, uh, with my wife and two kids, soon three kids. And then, uh, I worked at 20th century Fox television Mm-hmm. Uh, we were making fun shows like, uh, how I met your mother and uh, a show called my name is Earl, which oh, yeah. by the way, Andy, I feel like you could have written my name is Earl in another incarnation.
1: I don't know how much you know this about me, but I am for most of my life a skateboarder. So I'm a big oh, Jason Lee fan.
0: There we go.
1: So yeah, I would have, I mean, that, that, I take that as a huge compliment. Yeah, I can yeah. see that.
0: Um, so yeah, so I developed half hour comedies for 20th century Fox. Um, for me personally, I loved comedy. I loved working with writers. I didn't love being a studio executive. It felt weird. The, the being on the suit side. Um, in in what way? Well, like, you don't have to roast execs,
1: but I'm just curious. No, no,
0: it's a fair question. (laughs) And I will roast. Okay <laughs> uh, So, um, no, for me, you know, I was the the guy or one of the men and women who were pitched shows every pilot season. You know, you'd have seven pitches lined up a day and seven pitches the next day, whatever you could cram in when you didn't have to pee in the bathroom. Like my schedule was so ridiculous. And mm-hmm. I'd hear all these pitches, and I'd always think, huh. I wonder what went into that show. What were the decisions before they came to my office? Like, I wish I could have talked to them because it's not a very good show. It's not a very good pitch, but I bet if I were talking to them, and we could have brainstormed it a little more. I was just curious about what was happening outside the gates of the studio. Mm -hmm. Um, I come from a writing background, so I was sort of a writing nerd who wanted to be, in with the kids writing and not sitting in a corporate office putting my thumb up or down to uh, approve or, or reject things. So, sure. um, so uh, yeah, I left after a couple of years with mm-hmm. that um, with that feeling, and I partnered with Judd Apatow, who had just done Forty Year Old Virgin and Knocked Up and Super Bad. And he was sort of in the first moments of like I think I want to have a real production company and be able to not direct everything but actually produce stuff and produce a wider range of stuff. So we did that together, um, which was very fun. As you said, it was forgetting Sarah Marshall and Step Brothers and Pineapple Express and mm-hmm. Get Him to the Greek and Bridesmaids, um, yeah. all hugely fun. I got to meet. Brilliant writers, comedians, directors. Um, and also I really learned the lesson of like, it's almost like a Shakespearean troupe. You know, if you find people you trust, then maybe Jason Siegel could write a movie, and then in the next movie he could direct, and then the next movie he could star in, like maybe we can all these multi-talented Audrey yeah. Plaza and Rashida Jones yeah. and Bill Hader and I mean just brilliant people. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Those I mean, th-
1: that's so crazy too to be to that your pivot move out of 20th century was like, yeah, I teamed up with Apatow at like, you know, whenever he was changing comedy in the late 2010s <laughs> and like, just like riding the biggest wave that's been seen in a while um as a singular person in comedy. uh One of my heroes, like top three idols in life, just everything he does. I'm such a fan of, but yeah. um Yeah. There, that was just an all-star ensemble not just in one movie but across their whole thing. Uh I just yeah, so many super talented people. I mean Jonah, Seth, you know, weren't even mentioned in that, like two, you know, Titans. So yeah,
0: totally. amazing. Totally. And all of them, Michael Sarah, and I mean just on and on, really creative people. Um yep. Russell Brand. I mean we it was just a motley fun creative crew. Um mm-hmm. And was great. And then uh, after Bridesmaids uh, was when my former boss, Peter Chernin, s- told me he was quitting News Corporation and starting a company and asked if we could start that company, which we did. It's called Chernin Entertainment. Going uh, mm-hmm. strong. Very cool big company. And then, uh, and then I, uh, I actually, the true story is I started my own company after that, but it was a little bit of a tree falling in the forest because it was a tiny company. Uh, I had one executive, it was called Invention. Uh, I got a deal with Fox um, and uh, had a ton of fun. I actually, I don't know if I've told you about this, Andy, I had an idea when I got my deal at Fox. Mm-hmm. That I pitched to the heads of Fox, and they said yes, shockingly. And the idea was, in addition to my company, I called it the Writer's Studio. And my idea was to launch a studio that would be um, kind of a, a television writer's room for movies. So mm-hmm. the idea was to hire a bunch of people, six people a year, something like that, have them work all year long as writers, new screenwriters. Basically, if I were doing it now, it would be you, like emerging cool screenwriters who are starting to make noise uh, and hire a bunch of them and have everybody work together in a room, helping each other with ideas, building movies. I was like the Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society who got to be at the front (laughs) of the classroom like, you know talking and uh and it was so fun it was called the writer's studio we did it for two years and in two years I think we wrote 36 movies uh totally original movies from scratch Mm -hmm. everyone helping each other and sort of think tanking it and it was uh hugely fun and then uh Fox unfortunately canceled the program um even though it was wildly successful. uh, And I left Fox in uh, that moment uh, and went to Lionsgate. I had a deal Mm -hmm. at Lionsgate for two years. And then I met Ben Stiller. um, And we had the idea to partner and sort of combine forces. Uh, So we did that. And I ran our company, read our films, did escape at dannemora and severance and Mm -hmm. movies like the package and plus one and alex strange love and very productive really fun and then uh during the pandemic in the soul searching that came with the pandemic uh i i had just done severance and thought i wanted to start my own company uh or really restart invention right in a 2.0 way so that's what i did mm-hmm. whatever a year and a half ago um yeah and so, you have uh, a deal with Fremantle. correct i have a deal on the television side with Fremantle, and mm-hmm. I'm, uh, independent on the movie side and mm-hmm. uh have five executives and um we're all working equally in movies and tv um equally in comedy and drama and i would probably say half and a half <laughs> domestic Hollywood stuff and international stuff. So it's a very diverse bunch of uh, projects and diverse bunch of people and
1: having a good time. Amazing. Um, Before I lose this question, because I know everyone listening probably wants to know, do you guys take queries, open queries?
0: Uh, We take everything. Take everything. Okay. We have, uh, sadly, no barrier to entry. It's not a low barrier (laughs) Yeah. it's a it's a no barrier to entry No, a yeah. lot of that comes from doing International stuff is there's listen there's people who have managers and agents and have done a hundred things um and I do work with those people to be clear um mm. and, but I also get very excited about new voices and whether it's people from craft services or people from countries that have not been heard from very much or just, people who are writing their asses off wherever they are, always, always open to, to new rising stars.
1: Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong too. Severance was originally sent to you
0: by a newcomer, right? It was, he did. Dan Erickson who created Severance did not have an agent, uh, had never produced anything. And, um, we started building that show really from scratch from his his spec script, um, and uh, built it up. And there's a somewhat now famous story, which is hundred percent true, where on the day I sold it to Apple, uh, he had to leave our meeting to drive postmates deliveries. Uh, which oh. <laughs> was what he was doing for a living at the time. That is oh. totally, totally true. That's amazing, and that makes it so much sweeter too that the
1: show went on to be such a success. Uh, he's um, such a deserving guy, really, mm. just a humble, brilliant, hardworking writer. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and then and for people listening too, you know, if you have interest in craft services, Nikki and I have a project that's in been in development for a while, and it's kind of put on pause right now due to the writer strike. Which uh, support fair pay for writers, get that out there. But. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh it, you know it, it happens if the project is right. So you know Nikki's open to queries. If you think you have a project, you guys are quite genre agnostic too, right?
0: Yeah, very eclectic. I yeah. I know this is not what's advised for uh, producing, let alone for writing. And we talk about this all the time. Yeah, we do. Uh, as services <laughs> and beyond, but it's. Yeah. Um, I'm not very good at the brand thing, honestly. Um, and the truth is, uh, I don't believe it. Um, mm-hmm. I believe in a quality brand and a level of execution, um, and and being picky about projects, all that I believe in. The, you know, the idea that you need to be Jason Bloom and staple yourself to a genre or mm-hmm. um, you know, JJ Abrams and and master sci-fi in all its forms yeah. um those guys are brilliant and i know jason bloom and he's a very smart agile producer yeah. um but i find it hard enough to do good shit without laying a lens of oh i did bridesmaids so i better do r-rated comedies for the rest of my life sure. uh i i just tend to um a very uh very interested in kind of excellence, but not so much in uh, a particular brand of it. Sure, yeah. And you know, if if you did just stick
1: with your comedies, our comedies after Bridesmaids, you don't do Severance, you know, and it's-
0: That's right, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I find that's true of most writers and directors I know too. You do a deep dive project for a couple of years, the last thing you want to do is that same project over again so um i'm i'm more a fan of being expansive with this stuff
1: absolutely yeah totally agree i feel like a24 is another example of a company who's done that really well in recent years with just they take all genres but they've i think the first like 5 years were an incredible run like a remarkable run where basically any movie i saw with that logo in the front was good and i was like yeah. man you, you do build a trust with your audience. You're right. So it doesn't need to be just horror, just sci-fi. It's like, it doesn't matter what the movie is. If you build that trust with your audience, then they're going to come see it.
0: Totally right. Yeah. Most normal human consumers are interested in different things, you know, like that's, that's just the way our palette is built. So, uh, yeah, I'm a, a fan of pursuing all of it. Definitely. Um, So how would you describe, if there
1: is one, the mission statement of Invention Studios?
0: Um, It's really, I think the reason I called it Invention is because I'm much more interested in uh, originality than anything else um, and in building things for the first time. So even though we're doing a really eclectic bunch of stuff, I mean, from... French coming-of-age dramas shot in France to dorky R-rated animated comedies to, uh, you know, uh, thrillers and and all of it. Um, it all seems to have a through line of um, breaking some ground uh, mm-hmm. and whether that's a kind of characters we haven't seen before, um, uh, we're doing, I was just before we started recording, I was telling you, I was at lunch with Adam Scott and we're working on a movie. That's sort of a, uh, Muslim get out written by an Iranian writer director. And wow. it's brilliant and really daring and that mm. kind of stuff. I, I love, um, but whether it's a new kind of character or a new kind of blend of genres or just a story you haven't seen before that that tends to be the stuff that uh, that we do
1: yeah oh my gosh that sounds amazing yeah I remember at one point too you know invention is genre agnostic but I do remember like you distinctly saying you do like things sometimes that are just kind of out there and (laughs) not like things you've seen before much like how get out was when it first stormed on the scene uh, I'd imagine which you just missed that one right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah know but, know. Um, but this new this new thing that sounds amazing that's such a cool one line i would i'm very interested to see what happens with that um so now i just want to like get into your head as a producer and yeah. you know this is a show for writers most people who listen to the show are where i'm at you know or maybe a little bit before that you know still uh in the midst of learning the craft honing the craft uh, I was wondering, though, what attributes might a script have that make you pursue a meeting with a writer?
0: Mm, that's a good question. Um, so I think the obvious, uh, probably boring thing to say, but it's important, is um, the first step is professionalism. Like, literally, this person knows how to write a fucking script. Like, it turns at act two and it turns at act three and it is uh tight and smartly written and the dialogue's good just the the basics of like you know ninja craft are there um but the other half of it for me is kind of what we're just talking about how is she or he using craft to do something new uh, and that's not true for every producer. There are definitely producers who are like, you know, Avatar works. Where's my Avatar? Or like, you know, Fast and the Furious is lucrative. I need a Fast and the Furious. Um, I would probably have m- more houses and cars if I had a little bit more of that. I mm-hmm. I don't really have that. I To me, that excites me less than... Oh shit it's a thriller but then twisted in a way i haven't seen before or a comedy in a world that i've never seen a comedy it always for me needs both professionalism and originality uh in some combination and if i it, it can't be just one or the other like as much of a fan as of, of originality and out there-ness as I am, if it's bonkers, it's just bonkers. You yeah. know, I, I just read a script that I was really excited about, and it's by a high profile person. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And it was just fucking bananas and yeah. uh, and and didn't have the quality. It was just bananas. Um, I For me, I need a little bit of bananas, a little bit of risk taking, a little bit of shit, I have not seen that. That has not been tried. Married to, oh, this person really knows how to write a fucking script. Um, If it's those two things in the same place, that can be any genre, that can be uh, any combination of talents and story and all of it. But those two elements combined tend to be the thing that turns me on. Yeah, got it. Makes sense.
1: Um, So further what could a writer do in a meeting that can help their chances of convincing you to join their project? If anything, I mean, I know, like you said, you're taking a meeting because you like the script. So Mm -hmm. they're, they're already on your team. And, you know, for writers, maybe listening, who haven't had a meeting. That's a good mentality to go into meetings with is they already like you. They like your script. That's why they set the meeting or agreed to the meeting. Um, So you're already in, don't be too nervous, but Mm. I would say, is there anything specific that writers can do during a meeting that just really wow you? Because, I mean, professionalism and original originality on the page got them there. But what mm. about whenever you meet the person behind it?
0: It's pretty much just bribery at that yeah. point in the room. I mean, it's like flashing a 20, you know, like out of your pocket a little yeah. bit. Yeah, um, yeah, which I've done. Yeah, I've seen you do it. That's why I yeah. mentioned it. You're very yeah. good. That's how it. our
1: project got going.
0: <laughs> it was a $5 bill. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, I would say in the room, um, first of all, it's not necessarily most new writers' instincts um, to be personal because you think this is my big shot. I got to be a pro. I got to. Um, kind of uh, armor up for this thing. I'm going to be in there with these Hollywood people and your walls tend to go up. That is perfectly understandable and perfectly natural. But uh, for me, a writer's ability to be personal is really fucking brave. It's really interesting hearing why a writer wanted to write something, not just that they wrote it, not just the titles of all the impressive things they've written or the I got third place in this contest. That to me is less interesting than like, hey, I come from this kind of background. I have always loved this kind of movie, this kind of show, and I wrote this thing because it reminded me of my brother and I've never seen that character on TV you know just the ability to be open and human about writing is a a big factor that's really powerful to me and often helps hook me into a project and make me care about it um so that's one thing the other thing which i find which is a, a bit tricky um but when it's when it's good it's it's really good which is have a real vision for your project like not just will you buy this script or are you on board, but like I know where this show is going as its creator. like I have a vision. I know where this is in season four um I uh, you know, really owning it creatively um I know how to execute this movie. I'm not just a writer of it. I'm the birther of it. I think about it. I care about it. Mm Um, that, that sort of vision is really helpful because first of all, it's, it's, um, contagious, you know, then that kind of enthusiasm is really electric. And second of all, it allows me as a producer to rally behind something. I can be like, shit, Andy, I get it. Like, that's really cool. I haven't seen that kind of movie before. The way you describe it, I love it. I now know what kind of cinematographer I could bring on that project. I now know the kind of editor you would want. Or I know where to go with it. That sounds like an HBO thing. Let me bring it to HBO. That sounds like an A24 thing. So Mm -hmm. just that, that bit of vision and passion Um, you know, listen, it's helpful because it's vision and passion and it comes with emotion and that is affecting, but it's also just logistically helpful. It creates momentum. It creates a model for a project that for me as a producer, which is a person who just brings pieces to the puzzle Mm -hmm. and tries to get it done. It gives me like, uh, gives me marching orders on it in a really helpful way
1: sure sure i love that that's that's a fantastic answer Mm. um switching gears to things that you've worked on because i think everyone wants to know everybody loves severance uh just curious do you have like a favorite story from making severance or just like a fun funny moment anything that you can give us bts behind the scenes
0: um let's
1: see you can Uh, take your time
0: No, no. It's a good question. Um, it was such a wild process. Honestly, it was one of those rabbit hole shows and for Ben Stiller who produced it and directed most of it, you know, he was down the rabbit hole and Patricia and uh, Adam Scott, everyone just sort of committed in this really exciting way. Oh yeah. So the truth is it made for a lot of stories, I guess I will say, I'm not sure I've said this before, but, um, uh, and i guess spoiler alerts are are if you haven't seen the show uh yeah yeah earmuffs for a couple minutes earmuffs for for 2 minutes <laughs> um, yeah uh christopher walken and john tuturo have a, a office romance in the mm-hmm. series and um i do remember i don't know what hour it was 4 a.m. or something we shot forever and we we're so tired and it was this incredibly tender scene Um, And they were both so amazing in the series. Talk about commitment. Like both of them finding this really specific character, each of them, and really going for it. And really for two straight men to have such tenderness with each other and Mm -hmm. really trust each other, I just was so moved by their performances. And I remember in the bleariness of 4 a.m., there's a scene in the – show where they're in this room with all these ferns and plants and it's the only place in the office where they can get any alone time. And they um, were having this tender talk, sort of their most tender talk. And I remember being behind the monitors with Ben Stiller as he was directing and we were just talking about it. We're like, oh my God, they're doing so great. And I said, I think they should kiss. Mm -hmm. And Ben was like, really? And I said, yeah i I'm feeling it like they're so tender, I think we should, and I was so swept up, and Ben went and talked to them, and uh, basically, the answer was, No fucking way. Really? <laughs> I was like, okay. All right. <laughs> I got a little carried away yeah. <laughs> i uh I think I was swept up in the moment, yeah." Uh, and and they were, you know they they had very good acting reasons that that was on the nose and over the top and oh you know. for sure yeah 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 they're they're very good at what they do and they know their
1: characters inside and out yeah if it's bumping them then it's like okay I get it that's fine totally I still yeah, watch
0: yeah. the show and I'm like ah one kiss like they could have done it uh-huh
1: but- yeah yeah it was a battle you lost huh I lost that one badly yeah. No, that is such a cool story, though. I love that just hearing that You know, that those kind of moves are being made on the fly sometimes, you know, like, hey, would you be open to doing this? And uh, it's even funnier, though, that you got shut down. I can only imagine <laughs> the embarrassment I would feel when John Turturro and Christopher Walken <laughs> turned down my idea. And I just have to yeah. swallow
0: that. But yeah, I'm you know. I'm uh daunted and in awe of uh Chris Walken. so, you know, everything, everything scares me. The last thing I'd want to do is push him um But it was, you know, it's a tricky show that way. There's a lot of logic to it. It's really intricate. Mm -hmm. Um, I had another four in the morning moment that I also got shut down while we're on that subject where there's a scene where John Turturro gets in his car and kind of fumbles with his keys and he's in his Audi life and uh, goes to drive his car and has a, a moment of getting it going. And uh I, like an asshole, said, I was behind the monitors and said, wait a minute, would he know how to drive? And everyone just stared daggers at me oh, like, God. don't take the whole fucking show apart. Don't yeah. do it. Because that's he, a slippery slope. Dude. Would they know how to read? Would they know how to, like, what right, are we right. talking about? Um, yeah. So, yes. Uh, anyway yeah oh, that's it's hitting me even harder
1: as like an outsider of hollywood just like still so nervous about when i get my first shot that yeah. i just don't want to fucking embarrass myself in front of my idols yeah. and uh oh, so yeah. like that's just extra cringing me out and make but like you were there you were established you know uh you, you could take that hit yeah mean that might i might just pack it up and go back to missouri like honestly <laughs> all those stairs i'd be like all right i don't belong here you're right yeah, 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 that's, it's,
0: that's
1: it's funny though. Stuff. Yeah, I mean and that's that's creating art and it, and it's it is following those instincts on set and just it, I I think no matter what like yeah, sometimes you might get a little embarrassed when you get shut down or whatever it is, but um for me as a much more small-time director, I do like ideas being tossed out. You yeah. know, cuz it's like sometimes they're like, shit, that's a great idea. That one when it like it disrupts maybe the logic of the story that's maybe a bomb i don't want dropped because i'm like yeah. oh no did i write this thing you know in such a way that it's now flawed and whatever but uh yeah. no those are really cool thank you so much for telling those bts stories of course um so i want to ask too what are some of your hobbies outside of the film business that help keep you sane
0: Huh? um I still write, which has Mm -hmm. entered the hobby zone for me and definitely keeps me sane. I will write a short story or something every so often. I do find myself writing stuff that I can't produce. That seems to be important to my therapy, that it will not be swept into showbiz. Uh, So more like poetry and short stories than screenplays. Um, I tend to be a little church and state about that or something. Um, but I have three kids. I spend a lot of time with them and, uh, my wife and I have a garden. I am, Mm. I'm basically like an 80 year old British man in (laughs) body. like, I like puttering about in my garden and, Mm. uh, reading old detective novels and, uh, uh you know virginia wolf books and uh working in in uh the garden and stuff like that when i'm not reading scripts the vast majority of every weekend is reading scripts and and all that which i also love i don't understand producers who don't like to read um it's all you do fortunately i really like reading um yeah. and i'm kind of like an eternal little kid like every almost every i know this sounds impossible but literally almost every script i start i'm like oh i hope this is awesome like yeah yes is is this gonna be the thing is this gonna be the the script i discover and um so i do it sort of hope springs eternal which helps me through a lot of reading.
1: that's amazing and i feel like so many people who work in this business are like that like I used to think of it as I still do sometimes um, think of it as like, oh, man, am I just like a grown teenage boy at this point? Like, I'm you know, far past my teenage years now, but I still am into all the shit I was into when I was 15 years old. Like, like I said, I still skateboard for pleasure. You know, it's more again, that's a hobby now. But um, I do that. I still play guitar, which I started playing when I was a little kid. One time I was listing out. Funny enough, on a dating website, I was listing out my hobbies and halfway through it, I was like, oh, my God, I sound like a 15 year old boy. What am I doing? This is not a good look. But uh, but it's true. And, you know, um, I still listen to all the music from that back then. I don't know. I guess your formative years have a long lasting impact on who you are. It's funny
0: for me, I'm going through the exact thing that you're describing, but with travel, like when I was Mm. young, I had all these crazy international adventures. As I mentioned, I was like traveling overseas as a teenager and living in Africa and having these incredible experiences that all felt you know, by the seat of my pants and whatever. And then, you know, you're taught to come back and get a serious job and stay in one place. And all of that I pretty much did. And then now um, I'm traveling and producing. I have more than 20 projects in Africa with African writers and directors and, you know, two shows in Israel and two in Italy and uh, uh, two in Lebanon and all Is over England, the place. You're- killing it on the international level i love that's that's a lot of work it's so exciting and vibrant uh really i mean talk about cool new voices and all that so that's been really a lot of uh my activity lately but to your point like who knew that i could be in a tribal village in africa off the grid talking to writers and directors and working on developing scripts like I can't believe my grown-up life can merge with my youthful life in this way.
1: Yeah, I know. That's amazing. That's something I'm actually really, really excited about, having found screenwriting and filmmaking and realizing that I kind of had a knack for it and that this might actually be a viable career. It's, uh, it's so fucking exciting to me as someone who just... I just knew every time I had a day job, I just hated it so much. Anything that wasn't in the creative arts which yeah. was every job I've ever had. And like, I mean, they're jobs like that are cool and they're important and they pay the bills. But um, I, for me, a person again, who can't grow up, I'm just like a man child. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so exciting to me that this might actually get to be my career and I might just get to live in imagination land. And, mm-hmm. um, and as a writer as well, you know, like we all have our it, again like you said earlier there's something too going into a meeting and just being an open book and admitting that you're a very flawed person and all these things is um it's important to writing and it's important to the stories that we tell and other people are going to see what you made and identify with it and be like that's the thing that i feel about myself but i'm too scared to say out loud and mm-hmm. they're going to watch it over and over and over and fall in love with it and it's going to be a source of comfort and For me, that idea of like sharing all the stuff that I feel about me is fucked up and I'm scared to talk about through writing is just one of the most cathartic, therapeutic things. And um, it really feels like a privilege to get to do this. So yeah, it's it's
0: amazing. It is. It's an incredible privilege to have a job that is open-hearted and emotional, you know? There's nothing wrong with being a... Petrochemical engineer or a dishwasher, which I was for two years, or a lot of other unimaginative jobs that aren't based on your creativity. There's a lot of room for those too. But how incredibly lucky that we get to have these emotional, creative jobs. You know, I have three kids. It is so cool that I can tell my kids what I do for a living and they get it. You know, they could be three years old and I say, I help people tell stories for a living. Let me tell you about the story we're trying to tell now. That's so much better than just being in like futures investments or, um, you know, lithium. Like uh, this is a gettable human activity we're doing and it's fun. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Couldn't agree more um we're down to the last couple here i was gonna ask this is a tough one this is kind of brutal but um of the projects that you've worked on which is your favorite and why it doesn't have to be a hard favorite like okay so i guess if you don't want to name a favorite what's one that you just had an incredible amount of fun with and really stands out as uh one of the highlights of your career thus far
0: you're trying to get me to name our project together, aren't you? This is the Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. This is fine. You're my yeah. favorite. You okay. are. There it's, it is. Okay. We're going to clip that audio. A, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Just a second, way beneath that. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, well, certainly a formative favorite experience i had was developing bridesmaids um and it actually not just because it was a fun movie which it was um i was talking to melissa mccarthy about this recently we're both sort of saying how special it was and part of it is nobody saw it fucking coming like nobody and uh with no offense to universal studios who made the movie or anyone else involved nobody saw it coming it was all women at a time that the reigning comedies were all dudes and, their girl, you know, their girlfriends or their love interest could be female. But for the most part, it was dude comedy. Yep. We at Apatow Productions had done a lot of it. So I take full responsibility. It was dude leaning. Yep. And then to do this amazing comedy written by two women, starring five women, um, it was called bridesmaids so i literally had like the marketing department at universal be like nobody wants to be a bridesmaid that's a terrible title mm-hmm. uh, and it was um a an early lesson in who the fuck cares whether it's expected or not like i i'll i'll i don't want to rant about our current moment in show business but i will for a second it's uh, not just because of the writer's strike and all power to writers. I hope it, it changes things and people can get paid more fairly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not just the writer's strike. It's also the mergers and the consolidations and the firings and all the shit that's going on right now. One of the results is there's this huge focus on quote unquote mandates what's our mandate now here, here at Netflix, our mandate is now, you know, blah, blah, blah. We at Amazon are, we have a new mandate or I'll have executives say to me, gee, we're kind of waiting on our mandate. Like, uh, let me call you back. I'm not sure if we'd do that project. We were, and mandates are kind of bullshit. I'm sorry. They just are. I, That's not how shows and movies become fabulous hits is because Showtime or Hulu or NBC says, hey, here's our mandate. And then you as a writer or as a producer say, oh good, I'll obey your mandate. Here's something that is in line with your mandate. That has turned out a successful, fabulous project zero fucking times in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And so the, the attention on that is preposterous. And Bridesmaids was an early spank for me in like, oh, oh, you could just develop really cool shit. Yeah. You could just, regardless of mandate, even if it flies in the face of a mandate, you can just double down on something you believe in that is crafted and cool and ambitious, whether it's funny or serious, um, and win with that you know there was no mandate for severance mm-hmm. there was no mandate for escape at Danamora. there was you know and that's just my stupid shit. like other people who have done brilliant stuff nobody was asking for paranormal activity nobody was asking for get out it took mm-hmm. jordan peele nine years to sell get out mm-hmm. this is the way it goes fuck mandates Just double down on craft and commitment and go with that. It won't happen every time. You won't hit 100, hit 1,000, but you you have as good a chance or better if you just push on quality and put on earmuffs when it comes to mandates.
1: I love that so much.
0: So, Nikki, what's a
1: recent accomplishment that you're proud of? You're going to boast about yourself a little bit. Uh, it could be industry related, but it doesn't have to be.
0: Um, God, the boasting thing—I'm not that good at. I guess I'm not about to, not allowed to say I had uh, my kid graduate high school. Oh, that's uh, a great one. It is. It's not my goddamn accomplishment. I didn't do anything. Uh, yeah, but you—you you raised them
1: to the point that they could graduate high school, and that's—that's that's that an is, accomplishment. That is true. We're all uh, very shocked. By the way, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're uh, impressed, Nikki.
0: I did I shot a movie that was another one of like can you do this movie that we're editing now, which is um uh about a 93-year-old woman who gets uh phone scammed out of her last ten thousand dollars and decides to leave her elder care uh home and find the phone scammer and get revenge. So it's like Die hard with a 93 year old woman. Uh, And we got the amazing 93 year old June Squibb from Nebraska and Mm -hmm. Roundtree, who was Shaft back in the day, and Malcolm McDowell and Parker Posey and Clark Gregg, a lot of fun people in that cast. Oh, my gosh. Uh, But yes, that was another, I don't know, again, I give the accomplishment to the writer director and everyone who was involved, but just being able to help that movie get made was really, really fun.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. You told us about that movie months ago. And, um, I am so excited by that log line. And then yeah. to top it off, having the people in it, you know, Parker Posey, June Squibb, Malcolm McDowell sounds so incredible um, real quick. What was, what was it pretty tough to get that one going with, you know, a 93 year old woman in the lead and just how right. stupid Hollywood is. Um, Cause uh, to me, it sounds like an amazing movie, but I can see how maybe suits might push back on that. Like what's <laughs> the investment like?
0: Yeah, it was the investment question. And literally, yeah. as dumb as it sounds, insurance, you know, stuff like that. You have a 93-year-old woman, and we're doing an action movie. And um, yes, uh, let's just say it ended up being a very independent production, mm-hmm. uh, but found a terrific financier called Zurich Road, Zurich Avenue out of Switzerland, who came mm-hmm. on the ride with us, who are terrific. But uh, yeah, took a little, took a little doing yeah awesome all the best stuff does so that's all right right yeah and I'm uh, again you know it's
1: it's something I haven't seen before it's something new so I'm so excited about that uh finally Nikki what are a few words of advice you would give to screenwriters out there especially to those who are just getting started
0: hmm um I would say that when you're just setting out you tend to be bombarded with rules um and we talk about this a lot on craft services and just andy you and i will talk about this just as uh as friends um you know uh how to write the screenplays how to get the meetings who are the agencies who are the managers uh how do you get it going what are the mandates all the stuff um and i i find First of all, you you have to follow some of those rules or at least start to in order to go down the tracks that lead you to people. So you can't go in with a fuck everything attitude and I'm not taking any rules. Um, And we all know that we're all big boys and girls. Um, But I would say that the dirty secret of Hollywood and the entertainment industry is uh none of those rules is true and uh i i hate to speak in uh parables but uh both those things are true there are rules you have to follow them a little bit and they're bullshit. So yeah. if you can be have a big enough brain to keep both those things in mind, which is I'm gonna be polite, I'm gonna try and get a manager, I'm you know not gonna go in naked, I'm not gonna go in cursing, I'm not gonna go in drunk, I'm not gonna say, fuck you, don't get in the way of my movie. I am going to be a civilized human and I'm gonna be respectful while knowing somewhere in my head You don't actually have to take anyone's notes you don't actually have to change your project you probably have a good vision for it just figure out a polite way to stick to your guns and um you know i i do find people waste 10 years in the business thinking hey i answered all the notes will you make my movie now or i took everything you said and i did it will you make my show That's actually not how great stuff happens. Great stuff happens because you have a great idea. You write the shit out of it. You direct the shit out of it. And no matter what anyone thought about it going in, they can't help but love it because it's so supremely well executed. That's really how stuff happens. So I I know that's not the easiest advice to follow, which is be polite, know the rules and don't necessarily follow them yeah totally agree i feel like i'm just hitting the point in my
1: young career where i'm not following all the rules mm-hmm. where, and it's weird it kind of felt like it happened overnight where all of a sudden i like felt qualified enough to be like oh well i don't have to do that anymore uh, yeah and it's it's weird how it just kind of creeps up out of nowhere yeah. um because you come up reading the books and reading articles watching youtube videos these are the rules follow them learn them love them and then now it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, I kind of think of it almost like, you know, when punk rock started, it was this cool new thing or like when uh hip hop started, it was this cool new thing, taking the foundations of another, uh, type of music and breaking the rules and making it new. And all of a sudden it's the coolest shit that anyone's ever heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's some of that in storytelling too. And so, you know, the, the more refined, uh, foundational part is you, when you learned how to screenwrite. But then the cool punk rock version is when you're going to say fuck that, here's what Mm -hmm. I do, here's the few things I take from my foundation, but I'm also, you know, breaking some rules here and there. And I think on the project we worked on together was a huge learning lesson for me in note taking and things like that. But I think that is one where I broke a few more rules than I did in my earliest work. And it actually like ended up being things that a lot of people who read it were like, oh, I love this so much, or I love that so much. And it's it, you're right, it, it pays to take risks. And yeah, you're a, a very
0: good, You're a very good example, Andy. You do a really nice job as I've seen you behave and go about your career in being very respectful. You are a humble, hardworking person. You don't have a lot of ego, but I have watched you get more and more um, sturdy when it comes to defending the stuff you care about and mm-hmm. actually putting it forward. It's that great um, sentence that you learn when you've developed enough, which is, huh, let me look at that. Yeah, not, not let me do it. Not yeah. thank you, sir. May I have another, but yeah. um, huh. OK, you're heard. I understand you. Let me look at that. But you're the one looking at it. It's your fucking script. You look yeah. at it. You decide. Take all the advice. I'm a big fan of taking advice. You know, mm-hmm. I wrote novels like I was way too close to my shit. I mm-hmm. would work on a novel for 4 years. Anyone, if a janitor walked by on the street and gave me a note, he probably has a better sense of reality than I do. Yeah. Uh I would take any note from anyone. And everyone should, but taking a note just means hearing it, considering it and spit it back out or politely ignore it or use it as a gut check in order to get more committed to the thing you thought you were committed to. Like Mm -hmm. all of those are fair uses of notes. Um, I do think you have to be humble enough to hear them, um, but what you do with them once you've heard them is totally up to you. 100% totally
1: agree. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for your time. I super appreciate you coming on to my humble little podcast and just dropping some knowledge for us uh, screenwriters
0: out here chasing the dream. Well, I love your podcast. I love that you do it. You're a great voice for writers and advocate for them. So um, I'm grateful to be a part of it and to have snuck on to your writer's podcast in this way
1: all right y'all episode 33 is in the books i want to thank nikki weinstock for coming on the show very busy guy i really appreciate him taking the time out of his day to come and talk to us and you know give us some knowledge over his amazing career and tell us more about craft services again guys i i highly recommend this group it's been amazing for me uh people are getting repped out of this group, you know, really cool stuff. And it's free. So why not, right? All you gotta do is show up at a zoom every now and again if you want to. You don't even have to do that, but why wouldn't you want to when we have some really, really cool people working in the industry coming to talk to us? It's amazing. Uh if you like this episode, please tweet about it, post about it, you know, tag us up at social writer pod. Say something you like, say something stupid I said. I was so hopped up on Red Bull in this episode, and I could hear it when I was editing, like, Dude, slow down. Just take a breath. Calm down. Everything's going to be okay. (laughs) But um, usually I don't drink Red Bull, and I was just smashing a Red Bull this day. I don't know why. I think it's because I was just kind of sleepy, and we recorded in the evening. But um, anyway, hopefully that's not too egregious. But if you found a part where my crippling anxiety was very apparent... You know, post about it on Twitter, you know, at a timestamp, uh, you know, really just go all the way in humiliating me. No, uh, please don't do that. But um, please do post about the show. Uh, that's really it, guys. That's all I got. I hope everyone's doing good out there. Um, you know, I hope we're all supporting the rider strike still. I know we are. Everyone who listens to this podcast is cool. No scabs. Um, and hopefully this whole thing gets resolved here really, really soon. Um, it's just been crazy and I hope everyone out there who is more affected by it than I am financially speaking. Um, I hope you guys are doing okay. It's a, it's a brutal time and I think better times are ahead. So let's just keep on pushing, keep on supporting each other, keep on sharing love. Uh, and it's going to be a beautiful thing when we get through this. That's all I got, guys. Um, I'm an idiot. I don't know. I I had so much trouble recording the intro to this today. I had to start it like seven different times just because I'm an idiot. I don't know. I was just like rambling. And uh, this podcast is harder than it sounds if you're me and you just suck at everything. But um, that's it, guys. I really appreciate you listening. If you're still listening, that's incredible. That's honestly insane. I always record these endings like there's no way anyone is listening to the very, very end. So if you did listen to the end, post about that and tag me at Andy Compton underscore. I want to hear about it. If you are just out of your mind, bored, basically, you just have to be so bored. Um, What if I just kept talking for like 45 minutes about nothing? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to end this episode. I hope you guys are doing okay out there. Love you. Take care of yourselves. Uh, bye bye. The Social
0: Screen Riders Podcast.